0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan.
2: I'm Jenna Million, And this is a podcast where we take the piss and debunk music fan stereotypes. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way
1: before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. So, Sarah, what are we talking about today? We're discussing Fangirls, Scenes from Modern Music Culture by Hannah Ewens, which is honestly a gift and I think should just be probably taught in schools at this point, just so people know that they're not crazy. Mandatory reading for grade 10.
2: (laughs) younger than that fangirls need to know they're valid in their emotions
1: and opinions mandatory reading grade seven
2: (laughs) anytime you uh anytime you turn into a fangirl this book is automatically sent to your house
1: it'll be like the care and the care and keeping of you by american girl and (laughs) fangirls (laughs) oh my goodness
2: So yes, this book was highly recommended to us. Everyone has said good things. Now that we've read it, we definitely appreciate all the good things. We have lots of fun tidbits and interesting topics to dive into. And I think it's, you know, for me, this book is like, we've touched on like so many of these topics here and there. And this is truly like a subject. There's just so many different niches we could, you know, go down with this and for me reading this book there was a lot of things of like either thoughts or emotions that I had that I hadn't really put into words before that Mm -hmm. Hannah like put into words really well and it was just very exciting because I was able to like identify a lot with this and realize like certain emotions and things that like I hadn't considered
1: before. Yeah no I agree because like When we were, like, planning for this episode, I was, like, yeah, we've, like, touched on so much that's in here, but at the same time, like, we haven't had the ability to, like, go into depth in the same way because, like, as I say a thousand times, like, the icebergs are so big and we can only talk about so much in, like, under an hour. So we're gonna try and, like, discuss some of the bigger themes that we think are important and just revisit our favorite gals, the fangirls of... (laughs) but honestly like this is a thing also and I feel like the book kind of acknowledges that like fangirls don't it, it doesn't mean just girls anymore it means anybody who cares about music in like an intense way and I think it's just the like slow reclaiming of like a word that the media has used to make us feel bad about ourselves and instead it's like no we're all fan- <laughs> we're all fangirls and there's nothing wrong with it. Which I think brings us really to like the first big topic that hit Jenna and I really hard in this is that there's like a chapter about like sex icons and so there's two chapters in this book that are called Sex, sex and iPhones and Rock and Roll and the first section of this is fuck me daddy or screaming obscenities at objects of desire and this chapter hit me personally because a lot of it was about pete once
2: um slash fiction
1: yeah and slash fiction which is gonna have its own episode someday i am currently constantly doing research on this topic so just prepare yourselves for a very well thought out episode (laughs) about uh yeah (laughs) about that so jenna and i spoke about this just on our own without really the book leading us because when we were doing the one direction episodes jenna was like yeah i didn't even think one direction was cute but i've also said the same thing but i just didn't say it on the podcast but i I think i did because i was like oh like i was older than them so it felt weird being like oh they're cute because i was like no like i shouldn't because we were so close in age but because i was like older I was like this I I feel this is wrong because it wasn't like oh they're like adorable it was like no they're like being fed to me as like sex symbols and I don't know how to I don't know how to take this <laughs> but as women who work in media it's really hard and it talks about this in the book but it's really hard to like acknowledge that <laughs> you have a crush on these people that you're supposed to be like kind of viewing as colleagues in a way because I mean it's obviously different because there's still that sort of, like, hierarchy of artists to journalists, but there's supposed to be that, like, mutual respect. And while it's, like, acceptable to interview, like, Sam Fender and be like, I really like your music, it's not acceptable to interview Sam Fender and be like, you look like a Roman God statue, <laughs> no matter yeah. how you're thinking it. Yeah, so,
2: yeah, definitely professionally, we've had to kind of put our, like, emotions in check. it comes to that stuff but i think like for context backing it up a little bit she kind of outlines in the book while mainstream culture became sexualized in like the 1960s counterculture was proclaiming it as socially acceptable to have sex outside of marriage there is like contraceptives there's like first wave of feminism all this stuff and yet teen girls were still expected to be perfectly pure and like this oh my gosh this archetype goes back years years in history forever we've had this archetype of like the pure like the teenage virgin all this stuff and then she goes on to say how just like the acts of like fangirl dumb you know which is kind of like you know screaming fainting dashing around in mobs um tweeting obscenities at your favorite person (laughs) (laughs) um all of this is in a way it's protesting like the sexual repressiveness she says it's protesting the sexual repressiveness of rigid double standards of female teen culture which I think is just very interesting so like a lot of you know music is sexual and like there's so many musicians like basically every musician has been like marketed as a sex symbol in one way or another at one point in time or another but she says when it comes to enjoying music in a sexualized way it's deemed socially unacceptable illegitimate and not serious Mm -hmm. and so this is the whole thing of like hey here's a sex symbol bye 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 like be seduced but like Actually, you can't be seduced. Like in real life, you're not allowed to be seduced. You're not allowed to express your
1: sexual desires or any of that yeah it's like don't talk about it and that was a thing where like I was reading the chapter and I was like sort of like nodding but there is like the one thing that really hit me where she said like I was saying earlier where she's like female music lovers frequently deny their sexual attraction to the musicians and it's that thing where it's like I feel like I keep doing this where I'm like oh social media but I feel like social media has made it like more acceptable to be like oh yeah like I want like hook up with this person or the whole like thirst tweet things where it's like stomp on my neck like, that sort of thing, well, but, like, before that, like, I feel like it was kind of embarrassing, because, like, my whole bedroom, like, as a teen was just, like, plastered with, like, posters from, like, J-14, or, like, Me too. pages I pulled out of Rolling Stone, and it wasn't only guys, like, I had, like, a huge Megan Fox poster in my room, because I loved her, and, like, Avril Lavigne, and, like, that sort of thing, and it's just these people I, like, looked up to and was, like, these people are so cool, or whatever. But there was also, like, a wall of just, like, swoopy hair, blonde boys from Disney Channel. So, like, taste, who knows what that, what that is. But it's still that thing where it's, like, was always viewed sort of as weird when you're, like, oh, yeah, like, I, I no. So, like, I was, like, in love with Jesse McCartney when I was a kid and I was was like this man is my this man is my husband like he is a white boy of the decade (laughs) like he's my everything like I had a live journal username that was Sarah McCartney because of Jesse McCartney and people on live journal were like you really like the Beatles and I was like no I don't I really like Jesse McCartney and I like posters of him and then when there weren't enough posters, to I would print photos of him out on the internet and then I would collage them together onto construction paper and like hang them up in my room and I was like on one of them which I found once we moved I wrote on the bottom of the poster like this is when I think I'm gonna marry Jesse McCartney Oh, that's precious. But I was like never embarrassed about it. I think I literally made like iron on t shirts of photos of him. Like I was I had a problem. But like as I got older, it was just that thing where I was like, maybe, maybe I need to tone this down. And like well, not. He
2: makes this point in the book about like girls often have, you know, posters covering their room of like their idols and men don't do the same thing. They like they they don't go through the same emotions there. And I think Like this is a reason why, and you we actually touched on this in the episode with Sophia when we were talking about being young and female in the music industry. And Mm -hmm. you kept saying like, women view music so differently than men. And I think this is why is like, there's different levels and different Mm -hmm. ways to love music, but it's so different for teen girls, like having such adoration for like these artists when you're growing up and such passion about it. And that's something that... Not all men have experienced in the same way that like fangirls have.
1: Well, I think also it's like the music that we're sort of fed by like MTV or the radio or whatever when we're young is obviously, like, your parents play music around the house, so you're gonna listen to other things and like, the pop music. But, I mean, like, when I was a kid, we listened to Radio Disney or we listened to, like, my dad's, like, rock music sort of stuff. And it's, like, when you're listening to Radio Disney, almost everything on that is very just, like, <laughs> white boys singing about how much they love girls. And, like, not in the way where, like, Fallout Out Boy's kind of derogatory towards women or, like, maybe it's a gay thing. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But... Like those sort of things where it's like in pop punk, like the music that I listened to once I sort of aged out of like the soupy hair blonde boys, it was more sort of like i it's going over your head what they're actually saying. Mm-hmm. Whereas the music that you're first fed into is that like these men are like fully devoted to the woman that they're singing the song about. But mm-hmm. as like a 10-year-old girl listening to Jesse McCartney sing Beautiful Soul, you're like, I am his beautiful soul. Yeah, like, this is for me. Whereas I feel like guys, there's like a disservice to guys in that there are no real like songs that are available for them to feel the way we feel when mm, we hear true. those Because like <clears throat> even like when I'm thinking about like the girls who would sing pop songs when I was young. So like all those girl groups it's always about a guy doing them wrong it's never really about like their like love and affection like to these men so guys don't have that like young boys don't aren't listening to music as they're coming to age and being like oh like girls love me undyingly whereas I'm like this swoopy hair blonde boy would die for me yeah
2: (laughs) that's so interesting because so much has so much of it has to do with the patriarchy and and like truly I mean if you think about it it's like I don't know it's just interesting like you're saying it's like why is that is it because like women can't be in power where boys are like obsessed with them in that way but then at the same time like when they grow up and are being misogynist like (laughs) what's going on here
1: well I think it's and I mean this might be a stretch it might be a conspiracy theory so let's put on our tin hats for a second but I think it's just the whole <laughs> underlying theme of trying to brainwash girls into being like subservient <laughs> to men and that it's like oh like this is what I'm trying to this is what my goal should be is to have a man love me this much so that I just want to be his housewife you know oh yeah so- exactly so that's what it's it all is. misogyny is this, yeah it's all everything is underlying misogyny and that's the thing and i feel like that's also why we're fed on the radio that sort of pop music f- towards young people because it's like those are the rooms where the old men making the decisions of who what, what they're gonna brainwash people to feel and think are being like okay these are what we're writing about so like women hate men or they've been scorned by men and then, like these like young teen men like love women undyingly until they don't anymore. So like we're gonna like give girls this like false sense of like what they should be wanting, and then they'll go into the real world and they won't have it, and they'll become Sarah. <laughs>
2: Yes, because all of the stories, all of the media, all of the writers in the in the song writing room are old men. And guess what? They think that women want the like what they want. That's not true. And she talks about this in this book too. So I would like to say thank you for this beautifully hot take, Sarah. Um <laughs> coming from the opinionation station.
1: <laughs> Anytime the opinionation station is always open. <laughs> um but i think that that is interesting also because and like another theme that she brings into in the book there's a chapter about like ariana grande and the um manchester terrorism attack and there's a conversation about how ariana grande went from like this cookie cutter like nickelodeon tv show girl to somebody who is very impressive honestly (laughs) who like writes her own music and is very in touch with like her like self as a sexual person and she writes music about it and it's in a very empowering not uncomfortable sort of way and she is very outspoken about like her political views and all these sort of things which I just think is really impressive and I think it's been like a bigger theme over the past like five, maybe ten years if we really want to push it out there of women just owning their like sexuality and like their persona instead of allowing other people to be like tone it down. Like you gotta stop yeah
2: i mean in taylor swift's documentary there's a whole section about that you know how she wanted to speak out politically and her whole team was like no don't do it don't do it like it's gonna hurt sales like all of this stuff and she's like i have to do this and we're at a point like a reckoning where women are like taking control of like their beliefs and their own power and putting it out there being like too bad this is who i am
1: Well, back to, like, our Music Meltdown episode where we were talking about, like, bands we avoided or musicians we avoided the bandwagon on, I think also, personally, a reason why I was kind of avoidant of like Taylor Swift was because I was like this bitch is a Republican <laughs> like I'm like she wants us to not have rights and she <laughs> hates everything because I just felt like anything before before this past like this two or three years it just felt like oh she's doing it to be performative so that people leave her alone but now it's like oh no everything else was performative that was who she really is but mm-hmm. like they did they I personally like, I think they did her so dirty and like not letting her just be who she wanted to be because there is that like preconceived notion of like country artists and artists like that that they are like
2: conservative
1: yeah and so it's really easy to just avoid someone because you're like you're trying to be girl power but how can you be girl power when like being a conservative means you don't want girls to have rights it's just that yeah that whole thing is real it's real dangerous i think
2: nonetheless ariana grande A beautifully powerful woman.
1: So basically, the chapter, as I said, is mostly about the terrorist attack in Manchester, which was in 2016. And it happened at an Ariana Grande show, and 22 people died. And the vast majority of the people at that show were preteen and teen girls and, like, gay men, which is, like, the the usual demographic of pop music is teen, preteen girls, and gay men, Um, which is honestly all the world really needs to survive. (laughs) But so the main two points are, is that there was the undiscussed topic that this was an act of terror against girls empowering themselves. And then also how survivors dealt with their love of music moving forward after having such a horrible thing happen during something that's supposed to be a safe space and something that makes you feel good. But I think that the main thing that I found really incredible and empowering is that Hannah, No Holds Bar, was like, this was an act of terror against women empowering themselves. And I remember when this happened, I was there was like a Take That show like the night or two before. And like, I was just like, no, they like they could have, like he could have done this at any other point. Like that venue had events literally every single night but the fact that in that month they picked like an ariana grande show was like trying to prove a point to women and i just think it's really incredible that hannah was like yeah this is what happened so she interviews this
2: man nazir afsal Um, who was a former chief crown prosecutor for northwest england and so he was like the one to call it out as gender terrorism and it's defined as reinforcing gender stereotypes uh, aimed at keeping women in their place and while she talks to him he said like not a lot like basically no officials agreed with this and very very few journalists even bothered to point this out either mm-hmm. um and he goes on to say gender terrorism pervades every society although men never call it that because it would then mean that a national and international response is needed so that's really powerful um the fact that he's calling it out and saying like people don't want to recognize this because it would be an international response to gender terrorism
1: yeah well he quit his job because of it because they did not want to talk about it uh-huh yeah And I just think that that's really admirable, but also kind of sad that he had to quit his job because they were like, no, sir. And I mean, Hannah acknowledges that it took a year for anybody in media to talk about it. On the year anniversary, this um, woman named Anna Letzkovic... I want to say, for a uh, English outlet called The New Statesman, she wrote an article about it, and uh, Hannah acknowledges that an article like this is usually picked up by other news outlets and sort of utilized as clickbait, because people will be like, oh, like, this is a topic people are interested in. We want to be the site that people go on to read this, even though it wasn't our initial thought and nobody ran with it. So it was the one year anniversary and only one, one site acknowledged that it was gender terrorism and nobody else did. And I just think that something like that is just kind of, it's kind of disappointing because I feel like in some senses I can kind of understand maybe not talking about it when it first happened because it makes it scarier for everybody. But I think at a year mark, It's something that it's, like, why this, like, it's so easy for news outlets to be, like, why they are, um, like, why this wasn't acknowledged, you know? (laughs) Like, Like, my mindset would be, like, don't mention something like that when it first happens because you want these girls to heal. Like, you want these, like, teen girls who witness something horrific to be able to, like go back out and do things without the fear of, like, another terrorist attack happening because, like, these, like, when I was a teenager, I never, I, like, as I said in, like, our episode with Sophia, like, I just was so blinded because I thought everything was just, like, girls run music because that was, like, the world that I lived in when I first started getting involved in it. And so if that had happened when I was a teenager and then, like, the next day all the news outlets were, like, terror attack because, like, terrorists don't want women to feel empowered i think i would be too terrified to ever leave my house ever again
2: yeah it is a very scary thing like just the thought of that is very very terrifying i definitely was like also very sheltered from like thinking that would ever happen ever happen
1: it's just insane that like and this is a thing it's like i feel like so many women and like young girls don't realize how powerful they really are and if anything that terrorist attack should prove How like how powerful our voices really are? Because like a terror organization was so afraid of a bunch of teen girls that they're like, we gotta kill them, and that's just fucked up. That they're like, oh, like women cannot feel this empowered. Women cannot feel like they can talk about themselves being sexual beings, and it's like why? But and it's and like in a less serious note, it's it's the same thing as like when men have the double standard of like, I don't want my girl to like sleep with more than five guys. Whereas, like when they're with their guys, they're like, "Oh yeah, I like fuck three girls in one night," and it's like that's like a way less double standards all over
2: the place. What did I say? This the archetype of women having to be pure virgin for men.
1: Yeah, exactly. But- And I feel like that's just a very common underlying theme like within music of like oh like why are they wearing this outfit on stage? Like why are they doing this? And it's like they're like singing and dancing and like doing these things. Of course they're gonna basically be wearing a bikini up on stage. Like
2: the thing that I struggle with a lot when it comes to that is it's like on one hand like women want to take power for their sexuality and like how they want to dress and like empower themselves in doing that but at the same time you have so many men like ogling at them and like being like this is exactly what they want and it's so gross that I never know like personally where I fall in all of that because I don't want to be like I want to be powerful but I don't want to also be ogled at by men does that make sense
1: no it completely makes sense and I feel like Billie Eilish is like having that problem in that she was like I mean and that's the thing like when you come to fame at the age that Billie Eilish is coming to like was coming to fame at it's like your body's changing things are changing like you don't want to be like overly sexualized when you're underage, number one and so she was like you know what I'm gonna make my brand the fact that I'm gonna wear like oversized like cool sweatsuits and like do this thing and she did something that that in my mind even I just was like oh, like this is just who she is. Whereas everyone's like, oh, she's trying to not sexualize herself, which didn't even come to my mind, really, because I was like, she's just picked a fashion choice to be like her staple, which I thought was very smart. But I guess that's just me being
2: like... It's something so simple that I think has a lot of power in this day and age when Mm -hmm. the media just wants to sexualize everyone and everything, especially when it comes to music, as we've mentioned. I think... it was her personal choice to do that because she knew like the media would do that to her Mm -hmm. but i think it's so powerful for a lot of like teens who are growing up and like figuring out their gender identity figuring out how they want to like represent themselves how they want to dress and like knowing that you don't have to dress one way or another just because it's going to like because you're going to be more attractive or like whatever it is i think It was, it's such a small thing that she did. That's like going to have a really big impact for years to come.
1: No, definitely. But I mean, also, like, once she turned, like, 18, and she kind of, like, started acknowledging that, like, people were, like, talking about that, and, like, trying to sexualize her, like, trying to find photos of her. There was, like, a recent thing of, like, her out in, like, a tank top, and people were, like, oh, like, Billie Eilish has, like, a mom bod or something. I'm, like, she's 18 years old. Leave her alone, but also, like, that's not your business, and, like, all these things where it's just, like, how dare you? Like, this girl is, like, one of the most talented, impressive people in music right now. And how dare you try and minimize her to her body? Like, it's so, so fucked up. And, like, I don't know. I, like... The body image thing can again be a whole freaking episode but i just think it's insane that it's like oh like she doesn't want to sexualize herself so what now we're gonna sexualize her and then when people like ariana sexualize themselves they're like she's sexualizing herself too much and it's like exactly like what do you want us to do a double standard it's like I just I don't understand it. it's like it's not Billie Eilish's fault that she is built the way that she's built like you shouldn't hold it against her that she's like just a normal teenage girl Mm -hmm. and that's the thing and that's the like that's the other thing too is it's like the unhealthy like body norms of like the media world like don't even let this teen girl look like a healthy teenage girl without being like Oh, she's looking chunky and it's like fuck off.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Fuck off.
1: Like I just don't, yeah. So I mean it like obviously it's like a whole different like caliber to what's going on, but it's just like these ideals of like what men think women should be and like the different horrific ways that they handle it from like an all from like harassing people on Twitter to an all out like terror attack is fucking disgusting and insane because that's like that's the thing is it's like obviously like i don't know what they're like what they're told wherever like that terrorist but that kid was from england so i don't know what he's like being fed into of like what's like okay and what isn't okay and like all that sort of thing but it's like the media plays a way bigger part in this than they ever are willing to admit because mm-hmm. if the media weren't out here like demonizing women for like having tits <laughs> like they're like we would be in a little bit of a less scary world i think
2: i mean this is what we come back to episode after episode after episode <laughs> is what the media has said yeah. because it's like literally straight off the bat one direction versus the media like all these awful things the media says but I, it, this is why it's just so comical to me it's like why 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 like what would our world look like if the media wasn't saying these awful things
1: and they also they change their tune quite often which is ridiculous and it's like it's disheartening for me as somebody who my whole life all I've ever wanted to be was like work in music journalism and then like as you grow up and start to work in different sectors of journalism and stuff and you just realize that like there are literal people who are in media because they want to bring people down. It's crazy because like I understand the need for these things and I understand like the human interest in like these things. Obviously like I like I want to work in media. I do work in media. Like I understand it but I just feel like it's completely unnecessary to like take people down. And just like the different ways that sort of celebrities go about handling these things I think are quite interesting too which I think also can bring us to our next topic which is Lady Gaga because Lady Gaga my remembrance of the history of Lady Gaga was that she came out as like a persona rather than herself because she had been like made fun of and like made to feel like she wasn't good enough and so it was like who is she and I think that there were like I feel like they mentioned this in the book but weren't there like rumors about like who is, like what is she? Like is she a woman? Is she a man? Like what is going on here? Yeah. And it's like I don't know if that was a narrative that she wanted. Maybe. I don't know what she was going after. But I just mean, like, the fact that there even is that narrative of, like, what is she? And it's like, Lady Gaga.
2: (laughs) Having to figure... Yes. I mean, this goes so much into, like, gender and sexuality of, like, trying to put someone into a box and then, like, talking about them because you don't know what box they fit into. It's just like, Mm -hmm. just leave them alone. They're just a person, you know? At the end of the day, they're a person. You're a person. You don't have to push your norms onto people. You don't have to make them fit into any box and I think this chapter was so interesting and it starts off with a with a quote the Gaga body has always been central to Gaga the concept she's a living breathing performance piece of art and of wonder and revulsion and so this is to your point of like people trying to figure out like what is she and uh, like the amazing range of costumes she's had at different red carpets she's always like she's playing into this uh, it is like performance art for her which is really cool way For her, like, to express herself, and also it's just been so interesting watching how, like you said, the media is like trying to fit her into a piece. Like, what is she?
1: And I think that, like, because of this, Lady Gaga like came out and was like something bigger than just music. Like, there was like a whole thing there. Like, it was a whole thing to unpack. I think that that made it more comfortable for the type of fans that she wanted to attract and for the type of fans that she has attracted to find her and find solace in her and thus bring us to the topic at hand in the conversation is that these people view Lady Gaga kind of like as this higher entity of sorts. And I think that that was her plan the whole time to sort of create this persona where it's like you sort of know who she is as a person like I feel like as I love to bring everything back to Harry Styles like I feel honestly like maybe we know more about Lady Gaga as a person than we know about Harry Styles as a person even though Lady Gaga's whole thing is being a piece of performance art and I just find it really interesting that somebody can both be a piece of performance art and also be such an open book and so like willing to let her fans in and so that's what just really resonated me with this chapter is that like her fans just like view her as this like all encompassing like oh, other th- thing,
2: yeah and they, they said about meeting her like she's both like so down to earth but also otherworldly extraordinary and very like godlike
1: yeah i mean the common underlying theme is that they all want to be able to look her in the eye because they have there's multiple at this point it feels like folklore honestly i know <laughs> i
2: loved this chapter i honestly i love this chapter because of the way she's talked about like It's, I don't know, to me, it's so captivating.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, these fans are saying like, she looked me in the eyes and suddenly I knew who I was. Yeah. And it's like, nobody that I'm a fan of could ever do that for me.
2: (laughs) I know. It's so powerful. I'm like, I'm like in awe. I think it's really interesting that she gives so much to her fans. And like this, the book talks about it, how she'll always you know attempt to go out and sign autographs take photos when she can Mm -hmm. um and do her meet and greets and how she always it's like she's like projecting like a this version of herself that everyone knows Mm -hmm. um and they're always trying to like get have like a piece of that and and it talks about how she went through a lot of hard stuff and like had to like kind of step away from the light and step away from touring and like meet and greets Mm -hmm. for a while and just like the effects of like her body not being able to handle everything and there's even like Justin Bieber's in here saying that he stopped doing meet and greets because it was like emotionally and mentally draining and so I can't even imagine like what she goes through to like project that persona like all the time when she's interacting with fans and it is in that way it is very like otherworldly for someone to be able to to do that all the time.
1: no purchase necessary. VGW group, void where prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Well, I think also, and it's something that we talked about in like the toxic fandom thing is it's like, fans some like expect these artists to be like their therapists in that sort of sense and so they'll put really heavy shit on these people and so i understand especially people like justin bieber who's very clearly been through the ringer in public it's like it must be really hard when you're publicly going through the ringer and then having to go do a meet and greet and somebody being like yeah my dad died and like this song really helped me or like yeah like this horrible thing happened to me. And it's like, you live with that. I
2: I think that's why so many major musicians step away from like the light after a while. Like they have a period of like, I just need to figure out who I am. I just need to be me because they're constantly giving so much to so many people. And Mm -hmm. there was also a quote that I want to bring around too. So choosing of the fans, like they want confirmation from Gaga that they are good enough and that Gaga is probably the only one in their lives that voices that. Mm-hmm. So this goes back to the therapy thing of like, for someone who's like, you know, struggling a lot with, you know, whatever it is, if you don't have anyone in your life that like supports you, believes in you, that can be that confident for you, then you are like, you're like holding on to this idol for that reason. And like, oh, it talked about how like a lot of times like she – like they said, you look into your eyes and you know who you are, or at least you know the very minimal you at least you know you're safe or like you're yeah. valid as a person, and I think that's so amazing for an artist to do that for people, especially like on the scale of someone like Lady Gaga. but on the other side of it, like you say it does take away a lot from them as a as a human being.
1: It's just that thing that I've always found really interesting and, like, didn't realize until I, like, started getting involved in music and, like, making friends and bands and stuff and seeing sort of how taxing things can be on them. And you realize, like, oh, shit, like, these are are real people who are getting put through the ringer. But, I mean, the thing that really struck me in the book was like the juxtaposition between the two main fans that hannah interviewed and that like one fan was like angry that lady gaga was like canceling tours and canceling meet and greets and all these things and was like i'm owed this whereas the other fan was like she gives us so much like we'll wait outside her hotel and she'll send on hot chocolate she'll do these things for us all the time like i've had the pleasure of like meeting her once like if she needs a break like we know that she needs a break and it was sort of that whole thing where she's like sometimes like the the fan who was on the side of like yeah lady gaga needs to be allowed to have space she was like from what we like know about her or whatever like sometimes i think that we understand her more than the people in her life do which i think is a stretch but i understand like where she's coming from because it's like they do they know so much they put in so much work and research into finding out like about this art like an artist that they love so dearly whereas like this other fans like i had seven shows planned how dare she and it's like sweetie (laughs) like my thought on that is always like if an artist stops touring you always have their music like that's the thing is it's like unlike tv shows or things like that when like a tv show stops it's like yes you can revisit a show but I feel like a show like a tv show doesn't do the same thing as music can whereas like if you listen to a Lady Gaga album at any point in your life it can have or any album really I mean like an album can have like a different effect on you depending on like what you need the album for at that moment um so it's just like (laughs) if she needs a break she needs a break I feel like the whole thing of, like, not understanding that, like, artists need a personal... I don't know. Because, like, dumb sort of, like, has a stereotype of what it means, which is just, like, overly obsessive, like, stalker type situation of fans where like the fans are always there the fans are underfoot the fans are screaming they're yelling they're being insane and these two girls that hannah interviews like show like the two different sides of like what being a fangirl can be like which is being like super angry and but also still super attached or just super supportive and super attached but that's Always what the media shows is like the ones that are like, oh, they didn't come out to meet us, or like, oh, like I'd do anything for them. But the last two chapters in this book cover um, Amy Winehouse and Courtney Love, who I don't think any person outside of like being within the like being a super fan of those artists, I don't think that normal like everyday people would ever be like, oh, those artists have super fans.
2: Yeah. I mean, I didn't... I wasn't aware of either of them. Well, I mean, I knew
1: that Courtney Love had that, but I didn't really... I guess I just never thought about it with Amy because, like, she just was here and gone so fast, but I found the Amy Winehouse chapter so, so interesting. Cause I, I love Amy Winehouse's music, but that's, I don't think anybody would <laughs> ever be like, Sarah loves Amy Winehouse. But I mean, the chapter about Amy, I thought was really interesting because obviously like, she was like a very polarizing person within the media and the world and all that sort of thing. And there were always like paparazzi outside of her house, but in this chapter about her they're talking about how like these female fans would go to amy's house and buzz the intercom and amy would answer and they would have conversations with her, like, outside her house. And I was, like, this is the most, like, if I was ever going to imagine what Amy Winehouse was as a person, this was how I imagined her. And this is actually it. Of, like, her being, like, chain-smoking in her house, writing music, and, like, answering phone calls from fans. Because why not? <laughs> like, yeah
2: i loved i I love the description of this and like the fans who did get to meet her like she would just stop and like chat with them like they were normal people i mean normal people but like you know she would just stop and like chat with her fans and like have full-on conversations and that's so incredible and i think the the thing that's really interesting about this chapter is the fans that hannah talks to they all say that like they felt like they had a have a personal relationship with amy
1: even ones that never met her and i think that that's what's so interesting and not talked about enough of like females connections to other female artists that aren't like these pop stars because like obviously like amy was technically i guess a pop star but like she didn't sing pop music like she sang a very specific type of music that has like a much clearer deep meaning than pop music does because obviously pop music c- can have like very deep meanings like obviously like that's not like that's not up for debate but i just mean like when music feels soulful in the way that amy's music felt soulful it's like it's a different way of connecting um, because it's not as common I guess to have like female artists doing music outside of pop especially at that time um, because like this was like a decade ago more than that like yeah um, two thousand I think
0: yeah like, like early, early yeah mid
1: early mid 2000s yeah so like at that time like somebody creating music outside of the stereotype of pop I th- like, that was female, was, like, not as common as it is now, I guess, is the best way to explain I would say it, it's,
2: it, it was not as common to be as famous as she was Yeah, 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 that's for what I mean, it. yeah. Yeah.
1: And so they, yeah, they talked very much where, like, there is just, like, deep and meaningful connection. And I just feel, and that, that they didn't feel the need to have, like, that fandom community, like a lot of other, like musical artist fans feel the need to have because they were like we know her like she knows us and that's what it feels like it's like when these girls go to the house and they're talking and they're like oh like, we can leave you alone and Amy's like oh no like I love your accents you're from Liverpool <laughs> like I love that like let's chat and then she like signed like she's like I'm not going to come and take photos but I'll sign I have some photos of myself up here I'll sign them for you and they just like ch- like chatted over an intercom and I love that
2: I'm just thinking like back me personally and like my favorite most personal records and like for me I when I was a teenager I got into like Jack's mannequin mm-hmm. like almost post Jack's mannequin era like I was very late to discovering Jack's mannequin mm-hmm. Um but it was like immediately it just resonated with me and then I went back and I listened through something corporate with mm-hmm. you know Andrew McMahon is the overarching artist here and like there there's like a certain like something corporate album that is just like so dear to me and like I I could say like I feel like I have a personal relationship with that record and like yeah with what he wrote about and I was never like I was never really part of the fandom and because like Andrew McMahon is like a bit of an older artist and like a solo artist I wouldn't say that he has a fandom or like I it feels disconnected but he did. like well yeah exactly but like the the era that I lived through I wasn't a part of it because like something corporate era was very different because I missed that by like a good 10 years 10-15 years and so like the person he is now like I'm not a part of that fandom but like that record is so personal to me and like still like his music even his new stuff like the way he writes I just feel like a very personal connection to the way he writes so I can understand that in that sense
1: well, and also, I mean, I think that your thoughts on Andrew McMahon are thoughts that are shared. I think with a lot of his fans, and that I think that there was definitely like, especially around something corporate, like uh, a fandom because it was like within that um, genre of music, like that sort of the, like
2: emo. It was like, yeah, e- like the emo, emo thing. punk era, basically. Yeah.
1: But I mean, I just like I have so I have a lot. Of people that have been in my life that Andrew McMahon was just like this super like they felt like they had that sort of like connection that resonated with like the Amy fans.
2: I feel like the common theme here and this also ties into the Courtney Love story is that all like these people are very raw and very Mm -hmm. real and they let a lot into their lyrics and their the way their music is is this very like it cuts cuts straight to the center um and the same thing for Courtney Love
1: I mean I just really love acknowledging that like you can be a super fan without having any caveats to it um because I think you and I both have said multiple times that like we haven't been part of a fandom for so long and sometimes it feels like we don't, and I feel like this ties in really well with the with the conversation about Courtney Love is like sometimes you feel like you don't belong or like your love of something isn't as worthy because you don't exist within that bubble on the internet because the internet is so powerful within that. And I found the Courtney Love conversation chapter so interesting because it's mainly older women that Hannah's like talking about and how like they didn't have there was like was no social media so like fandom obviously has like grown and changed with the decades and with the internet and all that sort of thing but it was like hard to find people that had that common interest of listening to like courtney's band whole and like because it's kind of like a punk grunge like sort of band um like it's very specific like type of people who like it so it's not as common to like come up in conversation whereas like you drive by and maybe see like a poster of like Harry Styles or whoever you know it just was really interesting because they were talking about how they started like a Facebook group and that they had found all these like older women who were all super into like just love Courtney love and their connection to her and why they were connected to her and how they haven't ever had that before and I feel like it just really made me feel a bit better in like the way that I love music because like I, I think that just as a journalist I was like oh like I feel like I don't belong in fandom so fandoms has scared me and so reading, like, reading these like Courtney Love fans like later in life finding each other through Facebook I just thought is really interesting because like you don't ever think about like older female fans yeah
2: and i think the thing with that is like she we've touched on this before she you know outlines how like these women have like again they grew up with this record and like courtney love like you said a very specific type of fan what she wrote about very specific and she was also hated by the media people hated her so i mean the women who were fans of Hole like connected to that record, those records in a very specific, deep way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think becoming adults, I've said this before, like, you just don't have as much time to be as invested as you are when you're a teen. You don't have time to, like, go to multiple tour dates or wait outside ahead of time, stuff like that. But that doesn't mean that it's any less special to you. And one of the ladies in the book said, like, it's like she'll just put on that record, like, whenever she's doing anything, like, just around the house, like, she just always puts it on. And I think that's so special to be able to have that relationship with music like those records that meant something to you as a teen like you'll always have them you'll always be able to go back to them whether or not you're actively showing that you're a fan and I think when you meet someone who's like with the Amy Winehouse example it was like somebody had like an Amy tattoo it's like when you meet someone and you see they have that tattoo it's like you know like there's gonna be like a really cool deep connection there because like there's so the 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 fans are like you know more incognito. They're harder to find, but like when yeah. you when you come across it in real life, it's like a really special connection.
1: Yeah, and I think also the th- like with that the that girl who had the Amy Winehouse tattoo, she was like, you can tell the difference because somebody will be like, oh, I love Amy Winehouse, and they'll be like Valerie, or somebody will be like, oh, that's a really beautiful Amy portrait, and you like know the difference of like where yeah. they're coming from and like what kind yeah. of conversation to have, which I think is really incredible and says a lot about, like, that personal relationship that they feel like they have. Um, But I think that my most, like interested takeaway from the Courtney Love thing was Hannah talking about how when you think about older music fans as always the stereotypical kind of like gross old white man and you never think of these like badass women who still love music with all their soul and I think that's kind of sad because as I always say women built the house men just stole it from us but <laughs> like she says that it's like when there is like the man stereotype of like an old music fan even if there is a woman in tow you always are like oh that's like the begrudging partner when probably that woman maybe even introduced that man to that band you know and I just feel like we need to we need to rewrite history (laughs) we need to fix this And I just feel like it's really important, and I think that it's just the whole thing of sort of, like, men stealing music from us. Like, I know that's really ridiculous and really far-fetched, but I just think that, like... But not, because, I mean, as we've said a million times, men have claimed the Beatles. Men now are like, wait, One Direction have bops. Men are like, Harry Styles wrote a rock album let's respect Harry Styles and it's like we can't let that happen again <laughs> like we like we can let they're allowed to like it I'm not saying that that's the case but I just think that in like this chapter of being like we never think of like older women fans of music it's like that should be what we think about when we think yeah. about older people liking music it shouldn't be like a drunk I dad think-
2: yeah i think it so much plays into the the patriarchy once again of like women grow up you have you get married you have children you either you have a job and you dedicate your job or you're dedicated to your children you don't have time for yourself as a personal personal time and like men are just like doing whatever they want and like having their jobs and like maybe caring about their children and it's just like everything falls to the women to
1: do all this stuff yeah <laughs> <Fuck> the patriarchy <laughs> Well, there was one woman in that chapter who said that, like, she... Was lucky because she was single. And so yeah. she was like, So she's like, I am still allowed by society to she's like, yeah, I'm my lucky time. that I'm not
2: married and I don't have kids.
1: Yeah. To... Because I have time
2: to go to concerts on the weekends.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, Which is
2: ridiculous.
1: So, because I'm like, if my, because like my mom's not a huge music fan, but like if my mom had been, I thought, would have thought it was so cool if my mom was like, I love this artist. I'm going to take you to their concert. Mm. Like that's so awesome. And I think it's so depressing that the world has made women think that they have to stop having a personality once they find a man
2: <laughs> yeah <sighs> um,
1: but yeah the perfect book is perfect
2: in conclusion perfect book is perfect In conclusion, go by fangirls we would love to hear your thoughts on it and i'm sure we are going to reference this in so many more of our conversations because everything reoccurring themes everything overlaps
1: yeah, I mean, it's just it's just really powerful and, like, the fangirl conversation will never stop. It's, like, the underlying theme of everything we talk about is, like, how important women are within the industry in all aspects. I feel like fans don't realize how important they are, but we all need to realize that, like, we are pretty fucking important <laughs> when it all boils down think, to it.
2: In all fairness, I think BTS fans are realizing how oh, important they are.
1: That is true. I we think need that. more
2: more women empowering themselves in this way
1: yeah it's just it's very important to realize like how powerful we really are and how much control we really have over everything but that's like in there's another chapter about like japanese pop bands and they are aware like the people who create this are aware of how powerful the fans are And how much the fans want to be a part of it and so they were talking about how they do these things of like oh like if you buy like this like there'll be like six versions of a single coming out and it's like depending on which version you buy like this artist will have like a solo or like this person who's like not always in the band will get to be in the band or like I don't 100% understand how it works but that's what it was when it was like yes they're forcing them to put their money where their mouth is but at the same time these fans are like we want to be in control so we're going to give you our money and then we're going to throw away the 30 CDs we just bought because it doesn't matter we just wanted to have our voices heard and so yeah so I just think that we've proven like girls have proven in other countries (laughs) how powerful they are and I think that we just need to keep doing it and that's a lot of like what I got out of the book is just how important we really are and how many different ways we love music and how it's completely acceptable to love music in whatever way you do whether that be wanting Harry Styles to step on your neck wanting nobody to know you love Harry Styles (laughs) (laughs) like like there's so many calibers of it so don't ever let anyone make you feel like you're not loving music in the right way because there's no right or wrong way to do it. If you feel a personal connection to an artist and you don't feel the need to like have other fans validate that, then you don't need to. And I feel like that's really an important takeaway.
2: Absolutely. And we are back with Band of the Week in 30 seconds or less. Sarah's going to take it away in three, two, one.
1: Okay, my band this week is Janica, which uh, it took me 30 minutes to figure out how to pronounce that, but that's fine. Um, they're a British rock group with a female front lady, and she is fucking badass. I love this band. Um, my favorite song is Punchbag, which I think, according to their Spotify, it makes me very just not. <laughs> it's their top played song, so I'm not special, but it's a really good song. <laughs> um... I don't know, I just feel like it's very empowering listening to this band. I feel like I could take on the world anytime I listen to them. As always, come chat with us if you have read it or if you have thoughts about the conversation. I feel like there are a few chapters we haven't touched on that we'll probably definitely touch on in a later date. So if you read the book or even if you didn't and you have more thoughts about fangirls, you can talk about them all day, every day. So come chat with us on Twitter at Name3Songs or personally at Sarah underscore and at Jenna underscore million. So thank you guys for joining us this week on Name Three Songs. Until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band.
2: And remember, you're never too
1: cool to listen to Harry Styles. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when new episodes come out and leave us a five-star review. They really help.
2: If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit NameThreeSongs.com.
3: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust.